glad that you could join us for the first day of this new series, Starting Over. I've got a confession to make, and this is not going to uh, surprise at least one person in the room, but I don't necessarily like to follow directions or read directions all of the time. In spite of the uh, convincing argument made by Goofy and his friends in our video this morning, sometimes, Danny, I don't like to take the time to read and follow the directions. I want to start. I want to get it done. I want to get the pieces out and get started. And if somewhere in the process of that endeavor, it looks like catastrophe is imminent, if it looks like disaster is not just on the horizon, but has arrived and is in the room, uh, if it doesn't uh, work right, or if it doesn't look like it's supposed to look in the picture, or if, if I get stuck, then I'll say, then I'll say, maybe I should read the directions. Or even better, my wife will say, Jason, did you read the directions? Now, in all fairness to myself, i got to tell you all, I'm learning. I'm, I'm getting better. I don't just throw the directions away these days. Um, sometimes I will actually look through them first to kind of get the gist and the general idea of what it is I'm doing. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll watch a YouTube video. I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting better. There's hope. And I know that I am not alone in this procl proclivity. Uh, I know that um, there are other people in here who are directionally averse, because that sounds so much better than just being stubborn, right? And it's not just me, and it's not just guys. Okay, it's just guys. But uh, come on, who else in here um, doesn't like taking time to read directions? Uh, <laughs> you just want to get the parts out and start. Yeah, some of you lied and you're in Sunday school, so be careful. You know, directions. We, we, all, all the hand raisers, get them up again, get them up again. We don't need directions. Directions are for people who want to get it right the first time. Directions are for people who don't want to know the joy of reassembly. Directions are for people who are just too busy to start over. You know, most of us have had uh, an experience at some point where it didn't work right or it didn't go together the way that it should or there were pieces left over that, I don't know, looked important or something. And, and we've had to disassemble and reassemble. And, and we, we lost some time and we might have lost our Holy Ghost in the process but it's like those moments, and, and most of you in here will be able to identify with this at some point in your life, whenever you're putting stuff together late on Christmas Eve or very early on Christmas morning, or you're putting together, Steve, the gas grill that came in the box instead of just buying the one that was on display, yeah? Or you're hanging the new microwave over the stove and the bracket thingy from the old microwave doesn't work like the bracket thingy that's got to go on the wall for the new microwave. A friend of mine told me about that one time. It didn't happen to me. He just told me about it. 
You know, we can laugh about that stuff because it's always funny later. It's funny later. Not right then, but later on, after you've had some time to calm down and after you've let the emotions come back down to room temperature, it's funny sometimes. And you can laugh about it whenever it's a gas grill or whenever it's a swing set or it's a dollhouse or it's a microwave. But it's not so funny and it's not as easy to laugh whenever it's your life. It's not as funny whenever it's your life and you're having to start over with something in your life. So that's why today we're starting this new series called Starting Over. And it's got a subtitle. It says, Making Sure That Next Time Is Better Than Last Time. Making sure next time is better than last time. And all of this material, we're going to give credit where credit is due, comes from Andy Stanley. He's a pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He's got a couple of excellent podcasts out there. Andy Stanley, great stuff. The guy's super wise. I recommend it. Um, If you're starting over in a relationship, maybe you're starting over in your marriage. Maybe you're starting over in dating. You used to date this one, then you didn't, now you're dating again. Maybe you're starting over with an estranged family member, an estranged parent or brother or sister, or maybe it's your kids. You might be starting over in your job. Your career is taking a new direction. Or maybe you lost your job and now you're starting a new job. Maybe you flunked out of school. Or maybe you're still in school, but you're not liking it as much as you thought you would. And you you know there's a starting over date that's coming very soon. Maybe you're starting over financially because you've been in debt and you made some bad decisions and you've got to do something to change that. Um, Maybe you had a setback and you're trying to recover from that. Maybe there are some changes that are coming and you're starting over because you're starting a new budget. Maybe your industry changed and uh, as a result you're starting over in your business. Uh, Being the new year, maybe you're starting over physically Because you realize, I've got to make some changes. Maybe the doctor has even told you, you've got to make some changes. Maybe you're starting over spiritually. You've been avoiding some things that you know God wants you to do. Or maybe you messed something up and God is asking you to try it again. These could be start overs that are completely your fault. Completely your fault. You're the one that messed it up. It might be a start over that's somebody else's fault. And let's be real, it's usually somebody else's fault. Um, start overs that, uh, you know, sometimes it's partly your fault and partly somebody else's fault, but still mostly their fault. These are start overs that you got passed over for the promotion or uh, you don't know why. Or you got the promotion and now you're out of your depth and, and you're, you're trying to get your feet under you. Or you know, somebody messed up, somebody burned you, somebody let you down. No matter where you're at in life today, chances are you're starting over at something somewhere. And, well, this series is for you. It's, it's for you. Because the next few weeks are about making sure your next time is better than your last time. And I'm really excited about this series because we've all had a front row seat at watching someone else's life and watching them start over. We've all watched someone else and we've known what they should do as they start over. But whenever it's you and you're the one starting over, sometimes it's not so easy to tell exactly 
what you should do. But there are, guys, there are some basic things that if we could get them right, we could make sure that our next time is better than our last time. And here's why. And this is, this is a very interesting thing. Let's, let's talk about mistakes. So for those of you taking notes today, this would be your first big idea I want you to write down about mistakes. We tend to learn from our mistakes in the areas that matter least. We tend to learn from our mistakes in areas that matter least. Games, board games, video games. We learn those rules very quickly and we learn to avoid our early mistakes. Well, I shouldn't have sold you boardwalk for $200. I will never do that again. In sports, you're trying to learn a new skill and the coach yells at you. And in hobbies, in golf, in cooking, in crafts, in woodworking. And here's one. Here's one. Texting, email, and direct messaging. We've all done that one. Whenever we hit reply all to the email, uh-oh. Uh-huh. We sent that text to the group instead of to the individual. Uh-oh. Last night was amazing. Oh, God, who did I just send that to? She's an idiot. That meeting was pointless. Oh, who did I just send that to? Oh, that was reply all. Awesome. These are certain mistakes, and, and, and there are certain mistakes, and, and you, you only make them one time, and you learn that lesson very quickly. And in the areas that matter least, we tend to learn quickest, but we tend to repeat our mistakes in the areas that matter most. We tend to repeat our mistakes in areas that matter most. Finances, relationships, spiritual things, sinful things, health choices, eating choices, fitness, things we do with our kids, things we don't do with our kids. Things we do at work, things we do at school. And after we've done it a few times and messed up a few times and, and we've paid the consequences a few times for doing the same thing, we'll ask ourselves this one very important question. You've asked yourself this question. It goes like this. When will I learn? When will I learn? And that's a very important question. And the reason why it's so important is because of this one little word, one little word toward the end of that question is the word I. Because the common denominator in all of your problems is you. You follow yourself around and wherever you go, there you are. You thought a new job was the answer, but there you are. You thought a new church was the answer, but there you are. You thought a new relationship was the right answer, but there you are. And for some reason, you simply don't learn in some of the areas of your life that matter most. I see this in my job at school. I've watched it for years. Most of what I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is discipline. And so I deal with the consequences of people's poor decisions. That's what I deal in. I deal in consequences. The consequences, it, it, does, it might be a kid. It might be a parent. It might be a teacher sometimes. I do a lot of counseling. I do a lot of listening. I do a lot of correcting. Very seldom, very seldom are those situations easy and clean. They're usually messy, they're usually complicated, and there's usually a lot of emotion involved. People get defensive, people don't tell you the whole story. And here's something that I've noticed most of the time, people don't take my advice. 
Most of the time, people don't take my advice. Even when they ask for it. Now, very rarely do they ask for it. But even if they ask for it and I give it to them, they, they don't listen. I'll, I'll say to them, look, read this. You need to read this. You need to look this up. You need to read this. You need to go talk to this person. They know something about this. They can help you. Go talk to them. If this happens again, do this. If this happens again, don't do that. And, and so I watch people make these unnecessary bad decisions. And instead of making things better, they make things worse. Instead of taking drama out, they put drama in. They're like, oh, this situation just needs more drama. There we go. Instead of responding, they react. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Y'all get the idea. And I'll tell them, look, life is hard enough as it is. Life is complicated enough as it is. Why do something to make it more complicated? Why do something to yourself to add more to what you're already struggling with? And, and it's heartbreaking sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of satisfying. But most of the time it's heartbreaking because I'll look at them and I'll say, y'all know sometimes you look at people and you're like, mm, I told you. But sometimes it's heartbreaking because you'll watch people make another bad decision in a really important area of your life. And I'll think as I watch them do that, that one, that one could have been avoided. That one was unnecessary. They, they didn't have to do it that way. So as we talk about starting over, uh, starting next week, I'm going to give you three things that we absolutely have to do. Three things that we absolutely have to get right if you want the next time to be better than the last night. Now, to get us there today, I want us to explore three myths to starting over. Three myths to starting over. And look, this isn't rocket science. This isn't something that you don't already know. You're going to look at these and you're going to be like, oh, Jason, I knew that. Jason, that, that makes, that makes that's perfect sense. It makes common, that's common sense. But hang with me because here's the deal. These three myths will surface some of the major assumptions that we work under subconsciously whenever we're starting over. And if you aren't aware of your assumptions, you're just going to make the same mistakes again. And I know that there hasn't been any Bible yet, and I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a psychologist and this is a Bible class, not a group therapy session. So I know there hasn't been any Bible yet, and there's not going to be a whole lot today, but it is coming. So just hang with me. We're, we're going to get there. So let's talk just for a little while about three myths to starting over. And these are assumptions that drive people's bad decisions when they're starting over. These are assumptions that drive your bad decisions whenever you're starting over. Three myths to starting over. And the first one is, myth number one, is we call it the experience myth. The experience myth. And the experience myth says experience makes me wiser. That's the myth. That experience makes me wiser. We think, look, in light of what I've just gone through, I'm wiser. Based on my no good, terrible, very bad, horrible experience that I just had, I'm, I'm wiser. And that sounds really good. And it sounds like it makes sense, but here's the problem. Experience does not make you wiser. It'll make you older. It'll make you matter. It'll make you poorer. It'll make you lonelier. 
It'll make you more tired, but experience alone does not make you any wiser. People think, well, I don't, I don't need to read that. I, I don't need to talk to them. I don't need to listen to that person. I don't need to go to that thing because I've had, I've had this bad experience. And so now, because of my bad experience, I'm wiser. But it's a myth to think that an experience one time or two times or three times or 15 times makes you any more prepared for that experience the next time. Experience isn't the key. And here's why. Here's the key. It's not experience that makes you wiser. It's evaluated experience that makes you wiser. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. And so one of the things that we're going to do, consequently, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some things in here that will help us evaluate our experiences. And as I said before, it's not rocket science. Y'all know this already. You know this is true simply by watching other people. You know it's true by watching your friends and watching your family make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Oh, she's talking to him again? Oh, he's, he's doing that again? Oh, they're going there again? And they never seem to learn from their past, even though they've got a past. And they never, never seem to learn from their bad experience, even though they've had a bad experience. Now, you would never do that, but they do. Come on, man. Folks, experience alone doesn't guarantee you anything. Except possibly some wasted time. But evaluated experience can be a complete game changer. Evaluated experience sets you up for success the next time. So we're going to do some evaluation in here over the next few weeks. Another myth is this one, myth number two. We call it the no better myth. The no better myth. And this myth says, since I know better, I'll do better. Since I know better, I'll do better. I see this one at work all the time too. And it's not just kids, it's everybody. Just because somebody knows the difference between right and wrong doesn't mean they'll choose right over wrong. Just because they know the right thing to do doesn't mean they'll have the strength or the good sense to do the right thing. Adam and Eve in the garden showed us this one. They knew better, but they still did wrong. Your own struggles and your own sin shows you this one. You know it's not right. You might even promise to never, ever, ever, ever do it again. But you do it anyway. Paul even talked about this one. Finally, some Bible. Check out Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Paul said, I don't really understand myself. Can I get an amen? I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Later on in verse 18, he says this. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. There's this myth, there's this assumption 
that we work under that when we've been through something and when we've dealt with the consequences of a poor choice or a hurt, that now that we know better, we'll automatically do better. But know better does not always equal do better. This is why parents, or if you'll remember back to whenever you were a kid, parents told you, if, if, th- if this happens, you do this. If you go to that party and they start drinking, you. If you're out with a boy and he, you. If you go over there and they start, and what do you say whenever parents are telling you that kind of stuff? What do you say? Mom, I know. Dad, I know. But they keep repeating themselves. Why? Because they know that no better does not equal do better. Knowing better doesn't necessarily, knowing does not necessarily equal doing, but it's worse than that. Knowing better doesn't even equal the ability to do better. Knowing doesn't equal the power or the self-control or the motivation to do better. Simply knowing better won't mean that you will do better the next time around unless you evaluate your experiences and make some personal changes based on that evaluation. And this is why for some of you, Your current bad relationship is just like your last bad relationship and your next bad relationship is going to be just like this bad relationship. And you keep thinking, what is wrong with all of these people? Well, a couple of things. Number one, they're people. But number two, it's not them. It's you and you keep making this. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again because experience doesn't make you wiser and knowing doesn't equal doing. Knowing better doesn't mean doing better. Here's what will make the difference. Here's what will make the difference. Ask yourself. This is an important question. You need to write this one down. Now that I know better. What must I do before next time to ensure I actually do better? Now that I know better, what must I do before next time to ensure that I actually do better? Now that I know better, what must I do before next time to ensure I actually do better. Here's the third myth, and and this is the tough one. These other two, they're like a cakewalk compared to this one. This is the hard one. Myth number three is the time myth. And the time myth says, time is against me. Time is my enemy. The clock is ticking. I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. The opportunities are coming. The opportunities are going. All of the other people my age, all of the other people my age, all the other, all of my friends, all of my friends, all of my friends. And we start thinking, man, I, I, I got to get on with it. I got to get on with it. Time is wasting. The clock is ticking. I, now that I know better, I've had this bad experience. Now I'm ready to restart. I'm ready to sign back up. Put me back on the market. I want to join up again. I want to try it again. I've learned my lesson. I'm not ever going to do that again. I'm not going to mess this up again, I, but I got to start. I got to start. Right? I read John Acuff's book, Start. I got to start. I got to start right now today, right now, because time is my enemy. And that is absolutely categorically false. False. 
You should probably just write false off to the side of myth number three to remind yourself that it's false. Of all of the, because of all of the myths, this one is potentially the most destructive. King Saul in the Bible is a tragic example of this myth in action. So a little bit of Bible today. In 1 Samuel 13, King Saul, right? He's the first king of Israel, and he's the predecessor to King David. And the Philistines had come against Israel with bad intentions. And Saul had received instructions from the prophet Samuel in the previous chapter. I want you to go to this certain place, and I want you to just wait until I get there. Don't do anything until I get there. It absolutely kills people to receive instructions whenever the instructions are, I don't want you to do anything, I want you to wait. But Saul is there, and while he's there, he's watching what's happening to his people, to the, to the men in his army. They're afraid of this huge Philistine army, and so the longer they wait, the more people keep running away. And so finally, on the seventh day, Samuel still hasn't shown up, and Saul reaches his breaking point, and he, he, he does this big no-no, and he offers sacrifice himself, and that was something only a prophet was supposed to do. And as soon as he does that, guess what? Guess who shows up? Samuel shows up, and, and, and look at what happens. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to read a few verses here. It says, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, so he just got finished messing up. And of course, that's whenever the preacher shows up, right? Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him. But Samuel said, what is this that you have done? What did you do, Saul? Saul replied, well, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said the Philistines are ready to come march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled so I felt compelled. Something drove me to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Look at how Samuel replies. How foolish. How foolish. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God that he gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul got in a hurry. Saul felt compelled, and what compelled him was fear. Fear compelled him. Opportunities were slipping away. Resources were slipping away. And Saul felt the unique pressure that only time can apply to our lives. There's no other pressure like time pressure. It is a very unique pressure that will come into our lives. And he felt it and it caused him to do something foolish. Samuel tells him, if you would have been obedient, if you would have just listened if you would have just waited, God would have established your kingdom forever. He was going to do something in you that was going to be permanent and lasting and eternal. But instead, you got in a hurry and boy, is it going to cost you? Haven't we all paid that price at some point? Just got in a hurry. And it cost us. Time, especially when you're starting over, is not your enemy. Time is your friend. We see the clock ticking. We, we see the sand and the hourglass, you know, shh, and just slipping away. I understand the rush. <laughs> ha, ha. 
I understand the rush. I understand. I'm not talking like good rush. I'm talking like the, I understand the pressure. I understand the urgency. I understand that you're feeling the time crunch. But time is your friend. And this is true of just about every transition that we go through in life, but especially true whenever you're moving from a first time to a second time and starting over. Here's why time is so important. Whenever you've been hurt, whenever you've been disappointed, whenever you've been frustrated, your emotions are like a temperature whenever you're sick. And, and whenever emotions go up, that means you're not, you're not healthy, just like whenever your temperature goes up. You're not healthy. They, uh, emotions go up. They come down. But oftentimes what we find is that emotions don't come down nearly as quickly as they go up. And, and so whenever you've been hurt or frustrated or disappointed, you're, you're still carrying around a little bit of anger. You're still carrying around a little bit of resentment. You're still carrying around a little bit of jealousy. You're still carrying around just some other mess that you're not even fully aware of. And so your emotions are still a little high. Your temperature isn't right. And whenever your temperature isn't right, you can't have clarity. There's this man that I work with. He, he's, got, uh, he's got kidney issues. And he left to go to a dialysis appointment. What he didn't know, he'd been feeling bad. He just thought it was time for his dialysis treatment. What he didn't know is he also had the flu. And so his dialysis appointment takes all day long. Instead of going home after his dialysis appointment is over, about an hour and a half later, he gets pulled over in New Orleans. And they said, you're weaving all over the road. Look, you're, they gave him a field sobriety test. They said, you're not drunk. There's something medical. You're just tired. Just wait. Just pull over, wait for a little while. And then after that, after you've rested for a little while, go on home. He doesn't live in New Orleans. He lives in Watson. A little while later, he got pulled over again. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't a little while later. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. He got pulled over again. And this, because he ran a red light, and this time they said, look, there is something medically wrong with you. So they sent him to the hospital. He's running like over 102 fever. He was, he was sick. His temperature was up, and he didn't, have, he didn't have clarity. And whenever your temperature is high emotionally, you don't have clarity. Whenever you're healthy, you have clarity. Whenever you have clarity, you can make decisions. But until you have clarity, you don't have any business making decisions. And if you will wait, if you will wait, you will be able to hear some things later that you can't hear right now. And if you will wait, you, there are some people that you need to listen to and hear from that you will be able to hear later that you can't hear right now. Time is your friend. I know it doesn't feel that way, but it's true. So before you jump in, before you sign back up, before you start over, if you want your next time to be better than the last time, wait. Wait. You know, we need to get to the Bible at some point, and, and we're going to do that. You think about all of the people in the Bible that, that had a first time and a second time. It is absolutely full throughout Scripture of people that had a first time and a second time. Abraham. Abraham messed it up with Hagar. Had Ishmael. Had to wait. Then got it right with Sarah. 
Joseph messed it up with his brothers the first time. A little cocky. Oh, this is a dream that I had. Blah, 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 blah. Messed it up. Had to wait. Got it right with his brothers the second time. Moses tried to help some Hebrews being beaten by an Egyptian. Kills the Egyptian. Has to run away. Has to wait. Comes back. Delivers the Jews with a little help from God. Gets it right the second time. David goes to Saul's palace. He's close to the kingship. Saul gets jealous, tries to kill him. David has to run away. He has to wait. Comes back, becomes king over Israel, has success the second time. Paul, whenever he was Saul, was trying to serve God as best he knew how and do something about these crazy Christians that were saying all this heretical stuff about God and Jesus. So he persecutes the Christians and God literally like knocks him down. And then he goes through a period of time where he's learning and reevaluating some things that he thought he knew. Then he comes back for a second time around and he was very different the second time than he was the first time. The stories go on and on and on and on and on. People that had a first time and had a second time. They had to start over. And here's what you're going to hate. At least I do. In all of these stories... Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, Joseph. There was, whenever there was a first round and then there was a second round, there was an interval of years. For Moses, it was 40 years before he showed up for round two. That's encouraging, isn't it? For David, 8 to 12 years, we don't, we don't know for sure. But eight to 12 years between the first round and the second round. For Paul, in one instance, he talks about how he waited 14 years to go back to Jerusalem. Here's the deal. And this is why today is so important. And we're taking so much time to set this series up. In each case, they have to start where they have to start over. They have to wait to come back. But when they come back. Yes, things didn't work out right the first time. Yes, they have to wait. But when they come back, when they start over, they have this sense of divine destiny and abiding humility that was not there the first time. Write that down. Divine destiny, abiding humility. Divine destiny, abiding humility. Divine destiny says God is, God is up to something. God is doing something big and I get to be a part of it. Abiding humility says it's not all up to me. It doesn't all hinge on me. I, I did that the first time. That was Abraham's mess up. Oh, there's a promise. But the promise hasn't come. This, this all depends on me letting me do something. Abiding humility says it's not all up to me. It doesn't all hinge on me. God has a hand in my life and, and he's got a role in my next time. And because he is in the next time, I can be sure that my next time is going to be better than my last time. People who wait and allow God to prepare them for the next time instead of rushing in, instead of jumping in and repeating the same mistakes. If they will wait, there's probably going to be more time in the in-between than they're comfortable with. But they will emerge from that time of waiting with a sense of divine destiny and an abiding humility. Many of you are going to have to start over with something. You either just did or you're about to. Why waste time? Why waste time making the same mistakes again? 
Your next time can be better than your last time. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. Knowing better can equate to doing better if you'll ask the right questions. And time is your friend, not your enemy. So next week, we want to talk about how to do that, how to, how to, how to evaluate our experiences and how to, how to make the most of our next time. And so we're going to talk about the three steps to starting over. That's where we're going to be for the next few weeks. I'm going to go ahead and give you the three steps now. We'll talk about each one. But the three steps are own it, receive it, and release it. Own it, receive it, and release it. Those are the three steps to starting over. And we'll talk about owning it next week. And maybe we'll get through it all in one week. We'll just have to wait and see. Starting over. Making sure next time is better than last time. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you give us. Because you're not the God of just one do-over or two do-overs. But you're the God of... Millions and millions of chances. We might feel the crunch of time and we might think we know better. We might think we're wiser. Lord, whatever types of start overs that are represented in this room today, I pray that you would help us here at the beginning of this year to make the most of our second time. Help us to make it better than the last time. Lord, hear our prayer. Give us your instruction in Jesus' name. Amen.